Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'll be continuing our series called From Terror to Triumph. So 2,000 years ago, last Sunday, the Lord Jesus Christ conquered all of his enemies, and he established his kingdom, the kingdom of God on earth. He conquered sin, Satan, and death all by the cross, and the rulers of the age, they had no idea what he was doing. They thought that they could stop the king and his kingdom by killing him. But their murder of God's son was actually his enthronement. It was through the act of betrayal and unjustified murder of Jesus Christ that he was able to conquer all of his enemies. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he disarmed all the rulers, all the authorities, and all the powers of this earth that hoped to stop his kingdom from conquering and expanding across the planet. There's nothing that can stop the kingdom of God from advancing. That's what God proved to us when he rose Jesus from the dead. God vindicated everything Jesus said and did by raising him from the dead. That historical fact is at the center of human history. In fact, the expansion of the kingdom of God is the point of history. It's the point of our lives. It's the grand story, the cosmic story that God is telling here and now and has been telling since the beginning of time. The kingdom of God advances, and no one can stop God from accomplishing his work. Sin cannot stop his kingdom. The reason why sin can't stop his kingdom is because sin has been atoned for. Those of us who follow Jesus, who give him our loyalty, our faith, who give him our whole life, are washed of our sins. We're cleansed of our sins because the penalty that we deserve was paid. The punishment that we should have received was doled out. There is no more debt to pay. There's no more punishment to receive because Jesus took it all for us, for his people, for everyone who comes into his kingdom. So sin no longer has any hold upon us. We cannot be condemned by it, but rather we have been made right in God's sight. Sin also doesn't have power over us. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that. God raised him from the dead. How much voltage does that take? How much power does it take to raise a dead man to life? I don't know, but God did it. He did it by his spirit. That's a lot of power. And then he places that spirit inside of each and every one of us. All that power is in us, available to us to conquer sin, to break its bonds, to rip it out, and to put it to death. This is why Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power. Love and self-control, the same power that God exhibited in raising Christ from the dead, he is placed in you. And there is no sin that can conquer you. And there is no sin that can't be conquered by Christ if you will obey him, if you will apply the power that he provides, if you'll put your faith in him and draw on the resources of the Holy Spirit. Sin cannot stop the kingdom of God. Satan can't stop the kingdom of God either. Satan's primary, primary weapon is to condemn us, to accuse us, to tell us we're worthless, that we're no good, that nobody cares about us, that we're failures, that we better hide and lie who we really are because if people knew we're going to get in big trouble or they're going to reject us. Satan is a condemner of mankind. He's always ridiculing and, and telling us how guilty we are. But he no longer has that power because our guilt, which is true, was laid upon Jesus and his righteousness. His righteousness, his 
perfect love and obedience to God the Father that he, he did his whole life. That was given us. So when Satan condemns us, we say, yeah, sure, I do deserve condemnation, but Jesus already took it. So why are we talking about this? You're worthless. You're no good. No, actually, God loves me. God gave me his son. He wants me to be his son. God loves me. He cares about me. He's for me. You have the ultimate power over Satan because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has broken the power of Satan. And more specifically, the Lord Jesus spent his life on earth casting out demons, pushing back the dominion of darkness, rescuing people from Satan's kingdom. And he gave us that power to push back darkness, to cast out demons, to break people free and bring them into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's the power that God has given to his church to expand his kingdom on earth. So Satan can't stop the kingdom of God. Number three, death cannot stop the kingdom of God. Can't do it because Jesus rose from the dead. Death is not the end. All our lives, men live in fear of death. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to kill you. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to hurt you. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to take what you care about away from you. The fear of loss, the fear of death is how we're enslaved by this world. But Jesus, he gave up his life. And what happened, Matt? They killed him. How'd that work out for him? Yeah, but just keep waiting for a little bit. Because Friday turns into Saturday. And Saturday turns into Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead with the keys of death and hell in his hands. And for all of us who follow him, we are given immortality. That means we never die. When my body fades and my body dies, I will be alive with the Lord. I will be conscious. I will be happy. I will be free. And then when Jesus returns and wraps up history, he will raise my body from the dead. He will resurrect my body and give me a new glorified body, a body that will last forever and ever, a body like he has. You learn this as you read the scriptures. It's so fantastic. It's almost, it's almost impossible to believe. But Jesus rose from the dead. He had one of these bodies and he showed his disciples. And he promises us that to go along with our immortal spirit, he will give us an immortal body. And so there's nothing the world can do to us. They can't kill us because God has made us eternal or immortal. They can't get control over us by condemnation because Jesus has justified and removed our sin. They can't hook us with addictions and all these sins that just wrap us and, and, and chain us down because the Holy Spirit's power can break any sin. That's why the kingdom can't be stopped. That's why the king can't be stopped. And all of that was proven 2,000 years ago when God raised Jesus from the dead. That's what the resurrection vindicates. And now having conquered all of his enemies... Christ has ascended back to heaven. He was given authority and power, dominion over all of it. The whole cosmos is his, heaven, earth, and everything under the earth. It all belongs to Jesus. He has authority and power over every nation, every parliament, every congress, every tyrant and king, over every age and every nation, every tribe and every tongue. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All means all. It's all his. That's our king. It's all his. The kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God was established 2,000 years ago at Calvary and it can't be stopped. This is what history is about. This is the story that our lives are wrapped up in. 
And he has given us a glorious calling. He has called us to join him in the conquest. He wants us to conquer as he conquered. Listen to what he says to the churches in Asia Minor. Now remember, these are churches in Rome. They're being murdered, persecuted by the Romans. They have no political power. They have no influence. They don't have the Bible like we have it today. Maybe a few scrolls. They don't have the kind of money and economic comfort and security that you and I enjoy today. No mass communication, no printed materials to spread the gospel, no building, no curriculum. Just the Lord, his spirit, his church, his promise, his power. And here's what the Lord Jesus says to those believers and to us. This is in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and chapter 3. Here's a compilation. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. To the one who conquers, they will not be hurt by the second death. To the one who conquers and who keeps my work until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule with a rod of iron. To the one who conquers, you will be clothed in white garments, and I will blot out the name of him. I will never blot out his name from the book of life. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And as I have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, the father sent me and I conquered by the cross and I have sat down on my throne and I send you to conquer in the same way that I conquered. And if you do, you will sit down with me on my throne. These are tremendous promises. We are commanded to conquer, to advance, but we don't do it as the world does. We don't conquer by the sword. We don't conquer by the dollar. We don't conquer through manipulation and slick marketing. We don't pressure people or lie to people. That's not how the kingdom conquers. That's not how Jesus conquered. We conquer by the cross. We die. We pour out our lives. We fear and obey God. And God increases his kingdom. We tell people the truth. We tell them the truth and love, and we don't compromise, we don't cower, we don't shrink back. We live holy lives. We live holy lives that please God, even if it displeases man. We experience the blessing and grace of God in our lives, and we pour it out to the people around us and invite them to come in. We conquer by the sacraments of baptism, symbolizing our death and burial in Christ and being raised with Christ as a symbol of loyalty and commitment of choosing Jesus' side in this cosmic story of the kingdom of God. That's what baptism is. In front of our family, in front of our friends, we conquer by the sacraments of the, the cup and the bread, of communion, of identifying as one body with the death, burial, resurrection, blood of Christ. This is how we conquer. This is how the Lord conquered. Now, that all sounds great, but if you watch the news, you're probably thinking, what is he talking about? Because the kingdom of God ain't conquering in America. I don't know if he's been on social media lately, but things are pretty bad out there. For example, you may be thinking about the executive orders, the never-ending mandates coming out of Sacramento and Washington, D.C. Whether it was Trump or Biden, half the country thinks that Washington is corrupt and despotic. Maybe they're right. You think about the economy and the corruption that we see, how Wall Street uses their influence to get richer, 
how they're protected, and how it seems like it's harder and harder just to make a living in this world. Seems. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. But it sure seems that way from what we watch. What about our artistic and cultural leaders in Silicon Valley and Hollywood, athletes and professional sports? They're constantly hammering us with how racist we are and bigoted we are and intolerant we are and divisive we are and how backwards we are and how we got to get on the program. And it's just, it wears you down. And then you look at the school systems and they've become tools of social engineering, extremely political. I've been a teacher at a public high school for 17 years. I can testify that's what's happened. And then I found out that in Seattle, they've decided that math is racist, that it's a form of white male patriarchy. That two plus two is four is is a is a intolerant you know Western idea. That the idea that there's one answer for a math equation is itself a form of oppression. No kidding, you can look this up. So now math is canceled, and you see this happening, and you're thinking America's a mess, and it doesn't look to me like the kingdom of God is advancing. Why is this happening? There are two reasons. One is discouragement, and another is fear. I want to talk about fear next week. I want to talk about how we should live and what we can do in our lives practically, what our strategy can be to expand the kingdom with all the days and all the years that the Lord gives us here in our area. But another reason why this is happening is because the church is very discouraged. The church has, in a lot of ways, become hopeless, distracted. I mean, in this country, 200 million people claim to follow Jesus. So in a nation of 340 million people, if 200 million of them follow Jesus, then how can all this stuff be happening? Well, something's off. And I suspect and I have seen a great deal of discouragement, of distraction, and a a loosening of our grip on the things that God has called us to do. And that is to expand his kingdom here and now where we live all the days of our life. And so what I would like to do with the rest of our time is I would like to spend some time looking at what the Bible has to say. We should expect about the kingdom of God and hopefully encourage you that regardless of the darkness you see outside, things are not lost. The kingdom is not defeated or overcome. The king continues to sit on his throne. He continues to empower his church and the kingdom is advancing. You may just not know it. I'd like to start by looking at a parable that Jesus gave us to explain to us what the kingdom of God is like. It's the parable of the mustard seed. In Mark 4.30, Jesus said, what can we compare the kingdom of God to? What parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in the shade. Now, this parable is one of seven parables. And earlier, Jesus gave us an answer key. He said that the the seed is the kingdom of God. It's the word of God. It's him. He's the sower, and he's planting the word of God. He's planting the kingdom of God. He's making it grow. He also says that the birds are Satan, his demons, his people, that they come in and steal the seed. That's the parable of the sower, and that they take up residence in the kingdom of God. So when you build the kingdom of God, you're going to find problems in it. You're going to find evil in it. When you plant the wheat, you're going to find the tares. Jesus talked about this a lot. So we shouldn't be surprised to find problems in a once Christian kingdom or a once Christian nation, whatever that means. We shouldn't be surprised to see these things. These things will come. 
The focus of the parable is what the kingdom does. The kingdom grows and it cannot be stopped. The kingdom becomes the largest of all the garden plants. It becomes huge. And if you want to see a picture of a mustard tree or a mustard plant, just Google it. It's it's gigantic. It would surprise you. Now, here in my pocket, I have a mustard seed. It's extremely small. You, You can't even see it. But if I put this in the ground in good soil and I watered it and I let it grow, after a couple years, it would become this massive tree. It's underground growing for a lot of those years. You don't see it. All you see is nothing on top. But then it pops up a sprout and then it begins to grow. And eventually the birds come and live in that tree. This is what Jesus says the kingdom is like. And this is what you have to hold on to as a Christian. Otherwise, you'll be discouraged. You'll be distracted by comforts and pleasures of life. You'll get off mission and you will miss the unique work that God wants to do in and through you to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Now, first of all, what is the kingdom of God? Maybe I should start there. The kingdom of God is everywhere that what God wants done is done. It's where he rules and reigns. So Jesus prayed, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom of God. Whenever God's will is done, wherever God's will is done, that is where his kingdom reign exists. And God wants his kingdom to expand. He wants more people to put their faith in Jesus Christ and learn to obey everything he has commanded. Jesus teaches us how to do the will of God, the will of our Father. And so where we follow Christ and where Christ is honored, where people are learning to obey him, that's where the kingdom of God is. So this kingdom is expanding and it's been expanding. I'd like to survey for you the history of the church so that you get a sense of just how big and how unstoppable the kingdom that you are a part of is. It started with 12 apostles. Once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. No, 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, it started with 12 apostles, 12 eyewitnesses to the risen Christ and 150 believers. On the day of Pentecost, God added 3,000 Jews who became Christians to his kingdom. These were seeds that he was going to plant all around the Roman Empire. They went back to Iraq and Persia, to Arabia, to Jordan and Syria. They went to Egypt and North Africa, down to Ethiopia. They went across to Tunisia, Morocco, Spain, Corsica, Sardinia, Cyprus, Greece. They were in Italy These Christians were like seeds sent back to their communities where they began to share the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, and the kingdom began to expand. Within 50 years, the church began to be persecuted. And the persecution was harsh. They would murder Christians. The Romans said, Caesar is Lord. But then 300 years later, Caesar said, Jesus is Lord. The Roman emperor Constantine committed his life to Christ. He ended pagan sacrifices. He made the Roman Empire more in line with God's word. And over time, through a series of successive Caesars or emperors, the Bible was honored, God's word was feared, and the Roman Empire became a Christian nation. The kingdom of God expanded throughout the Roman Empire. By the 5th century A.D., The kingdom had expanded to almost all of Western Europe. And as the gospel took root in these cultures, 
as the people learn to obey everything Jesus commanded, they matured. Their cultures matured. You start to see things like cathedrals and symphonies, common law and limited government, economies that had a place for everyone to produce goods and services and to sell them in a market. Art, science, medicine, they all advanced as these Christian communities matured, as they learned to obey everything Jesus commanded. Christians created universities, the first universities to train leaders that could build God's kingdom and disciple the nations. Now, this was going on over hundreds of years, slowly, like the mustard seed, slowly growing and spreading and growing and spreading. It was slow. It was imperfect. It wasn't without sin and it wasn't without error. They were like us, a mixed bag. But God was merciful. God was patient. He sent revival and reformation to correct his, his king, his, his servants, and keep his kingdom on track. Then in the 1400s, the gospel rang out from Europe around the world. Advances in technology made possible travel over great distances. And the gospel spread to Brazil, South America, Latin America, North America. It spread to Africa, to India, to China, to the South Pacific. My grandmother was a Filipino woman who came to Christ in her 20s. She came to Christ because missionaries had come to the Philippines in the 1500s and shared the gospel with those people. And that island nation had put their faith in Christ. And she was a part of God's kingdom. And she shared that faith with my mom, who shared that with me. The gospel spread to the islands in the South Pacific. Today, there are more Christians on earth than any other nation. The largest garden plant is the mustard seed, and the largest kingdom on earth is the kingdom of God. That's the truth about the kingdom you're a part of. And the king continues to conquer. In my life, even though I'm not a Jew, I worship the God of Abraham. I grew up in a typical American family, nuclear family. Grandparents were around upper middle class in Coachella Valley. I got a scholarship to swim and play water polo in college, but my life was racked by sin. It was being ruined by all sorts of passions and desires and sin patterns I couldn't control until finally I was expelled from college. The night that I was expelled, I fell to my knees and I cried out to the Lord to save me. He did. He rebuilt my life. He set me free from the sin that had enslaved me. He remade me and taught me how to be a man. He gave me a godly wife. He gave me a new purpose. He gave me a new life. The gospel came to me because the kingdom had expanded all the way to America, all the way to California, all the way to Southern California, to the community that I grew up in. And I'm grateful for that. You all have your own testimonies for how the gospel came to you. So today, every single year, a quarter of a million people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ's kingdom being proclaimed. Over 100,000 people are entering the kingdom of God worldwide every day. 3,500 churches are being planted worldwide every day. In the past 10 years, over 300 million people have become Christian in this world. It's amazing to see the growth. And the growth happens in some of the most persecuted places on earth. Every day in China, for example, 35,000 men, women, and children are rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light by Jesus Christ. Our countrymen, our brothers and sisters in China are being per persecuted brutally by the Chinese Communist Party. 
And yet they can't stop the kingdom from spreading. Christianity is going to be the largest religion in China in 15 years. It's amazing to see. In Latin America, they're having the same growth. There are 34,000 people in Latin America who are putting their confidence in Jesus every single day. In Africa, 35,000 people a day. The kingdom is advancing. It's growing. It's spreading. There's no reason to lose heart and become discouraged. The mustard seed has become the largest plant in the garden. And God isn't done. He's just getting warmed up. See, we often think that we're the end of the age. But what if we are the early days of the church? What if God intends to continue to build his kingdom on earth for another 2,000 years before he's completed it? What should we be doing so that generations to come will follow Christ and continue to expand his kingdom? Our church is a part of this glorious story. Our church is on the right side of history because we are with the author of history, the king of history, in the kingdom of God, which is at the center of human history. Our church is planted from a church in Fort Worth. Over 40 years ago, the pastor, his wife, and a small group of, of Christian men and women who planted that church had a dream of raising up church planters, godly men and women who took the Bible seriously, who would plant churches all around the cities of the United States. After 40 years, the North American Mission Board informed them that according to their study and their research, they had planted more churches than any other Southern Baptist church in history. Our church was planted out of that church in 1987, Church in the Valley in Diamond Bar, by our senior pastor, Randy Lanthrop, and his wife, Cindy, and his two children. There's also a small team that joined him. They shared the gospel, they loved their neighbors, they spoke the truth, and they poured out their lives. Over a hundred people have been baptized through the ministry at CIV. Churches have been planted in Riverside, in coastal cities, up north in Chico, in Fontana, in Alhambra. And people are coming to Christ and coming into the kingdom of God through those churches. Those churches are planting churches. God is working in and through our church to expand his kingdom in our lifetime. And he's not done with us. He's still working. In our own story, we moved from Diamond Bar to Ontario. Many of you sold your homes. You gave money. And you've been faithfully sharing Christ and testifying to his grace. Then the pandemic hit. We couldn't meet for over a year on Sundays. It was discouraging. It was frustrating. And now here we are at the park. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is that God has given us a place to meet and to worship that is directly in the heart of the community that we've been called to reach. Think about that. A year ago, we would have done anything to have a place to meet in this location. We meet, if you're not familiar because you're watching online, we're meeting in North Celebration Park, in the center of all the development in Ontario Ranch. It's amazing. It's a great location. When this project of development is finished, over 100,000 people will move in to the area that we live in. I heard that it was the largest development of houses in California history. Think about that. God has placed us here. He wants us to expand his kingdom to all the people who live between the 91 and the 60, the 71 and the 15. In this corridor, Christ should be king. He wants every person, every household, every street, every neighborhood and business, school and hospital, every playground in the city. He wants all those people 
to become a part of his kingdom. He died to rescue them. To rescue them, he has sent us through our church into their lives. Can we do it? Can we win our community for Christ? Can we see these people brought into the kingdom of God? Can we do it? We can make Christ the king of the community, the king over this corridor, the king of our area, the king of our city, if we give him everything, if we dedicate everything we have to him, as they have done in the past, as believers have done throughout the centuries. They've given the Lord everything, all their time, all their money, all their energy, all their influence, their reputation, their family, their home, everything. They lay it out before the Lord and they say, take it and do with it whatever you will. Seems like a daunting task. Maybe you have a pit in your stomach. We're too small, perhaps. We don't have the resources. We don't have the time. I mean, how long would it take anyway to to win 100,000 people to Christ? When you think about the size of the work and then you look at the trends in America, it can feel hopeless. That's probably how Noah felt when God told him to build the ark. I'm sure he had some things he wanted to do on a Friday night that did not involve building a boat for a few decades. That's probably how God felt when he told Abraham to leave his father and mother and go to a land that he would show him. He didn't even give him a pen on Google Maps. He just said, trust me, I'll show you when we get there. But he followed the Lord because that was what God had given him to build his kingdom in that time. He gave everything to the Lord. This is probably how the Israelites felt when they were told to go into the land and clear it, to conquer that land. But they were giants. How is that going to work? They were too small. The giants were too big. This is probably how Moses felt when God told him to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and say, let my people go. Uh, I can't do that. This is exactly how God works. He gives us things that are so big, so impossible, that we could never do them without his help. That's how he gets the glory. And that's what God wants to do through us. Think about the 12 disciples. Think about what the Lord said to them before he ascended to heaven. He said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. All nations. All nations. But remember the first thing he said. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. If all authority has been given to Christ, then he has the power to help us as we expand his kingdom in the area that we live. This is what the mustard seed does. It grows and it grows and it grows. And God is not done with his kingdom. He is advancing it and he wants to advance it where we live. Imagine being these disciples. Imagine how impossible it seemed to disciple the nations. They were 12 apostles and 150 people. And yet here we are today, followers of Jesus Christ, because they accomplished their mission. They were faithful to fulfill their part of the story. They were on the right side of history. They were building the kingdom of God. They were smaller in number than we are at Church in the Valley. But they totally dedicated themselves to God. They gave him everything. And look what God gave them back. He gave them the nations. He made them a part of his grand cosmic story. He gave them their, his kingdom. And he wants to do the same for you.
God was with him. God is with us. And he is ready to use our labor. He is ready to grow a harvest from our sacrifice, from our faithfulness, 30, 60, 100 times fold. So don't fear, man. Don't be discouraged. Our God reigns yesterday, today, and forever. The Christian faith is a public faith. It's not private. It's the salvation of the world. The Christian faith is the future of the world. This means that we are on the right side of history. And we are asking the Father to glorify His Son. And He has done it. He will do it. And He will do it again. This prayer has been answered. Today we learned what the kingdom of God is. How it grows. And why we shouldn't be afraid or discouraged by the things we see in the news. Next week we'll look more at what we can do practically to advance the kingdom in our lives. Would you consider some next steps with me? Based on what we've learned today, you may want to consider repenting. Not consider, you may want to repent of your sin. You may recognize that you have been separated from God as I was for all of my life until I became a Christian at 19. And you realize, I want to become born again. I want to be a part of God's family. I want to be a child of God. I want Jesus Christ to save me, to wash away my sin. I acknowledge my sin, and I want a relationship with God, and I understand, and I am willing to give my life to Christ. If that's you, then I want to encourage you to make that commitment, to not let this desire pass, and to let us know if you've decided to do that. For those of you who are believers, repent. Repent of fearing man. Repent of the idols of comfort and worldly security that may distract you from focusing on the kingdom. The second thing you want to do is commit your whole life to the Lord. Tell him that you hold nothing back and decide that you will live by the truth of his word without fear and that you'll do anything he asks you to do. Be anyone you want, he wants you to be. Give him everything, your future, your plans, your dreams, all that you have. Commit it to him and ask him to show you what he would have you do. He will. If your heart is sincere, he will show you. And finally, consider Consider how you can grow God's kingdom. Who has God put around you? Pray for them. Love them. Serve them. Host them. Speak the truth to them and tell them about Jesus Christ. This is how we do our part to conquer and to grow the kingdom of God in our generation. This is how God turns terror into triumph. Will you pray with me? Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for your grace and love. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. Father, for those who are here listening, who are ready to follow you, I pray that you would forgive them of their sins. That God, you would receive their faith and give them your Holy Spirit. That God, you would bring them into your family, make them sons and daughters of you. I pray that you would confirm your salvation in their life. Lord, I pray for all of us who are followers of Christ, that you would give us a vision for how we can build your kingdom in our time as you have been building your kingdom throughout time. Thank you for the citizenship that you've given us. Thank you for the salvation that you've worked in our lives. Please help us to not get discouraged, but to focus on the truth that you are working throughout history, that, Lord Jesus, you rule and reign. We can count on you. 
Help us, Lord, to expand your kingdom across all the households and communities, from the 91 to the 60, from the 15 to the 71. Lord God, add in to your kingdom all these people and use us at Church in the Valley to accomplish this work. Bring people to your son through our ministry, Lord. Help us to reach out and love and share the truth of God with those around us. Give us a burden desire for that. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.